Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. Today is December 5th. Um, with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. <laughs> I know. I got to do that every once in a while. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Well, may- maybe you do. That's probably <laughs> up for a debate after the- this is done. Um, but today we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about all kinds of various things. And at the end, uh, we were, it's so great. We got a bunch of questions from you guys um, on Twitter and through email and in various forms. Um, so we're going to do a mailbag at the end. Um, but why don't we start with a basic uh, rundown of what's going on? Absolutely. Okay, folks. So next Tuesday is our last episode before we go on break for the holidays, mostly because Eric is going to be away and mm-hmm. I am also going to be away. And well, we we haven't quite figured out how to do this remotely yet. Um, yeah, we're not very good at this. <laughs> we're not very good at this at all. So we're going to be taking a two-week holiday break starting the week after next. We will be returning January 3rd with regular episodes. But, but wait, yeah. never fear. But what if I want to listen to Print Run during this time, Laura? Well, Eric, that's a really good question. We still have our two special content episodes oh, for December. So these will both be happening when we are on hiatus. So if you're home with the family and you miss us a ton... That's okay. Or if you're trying to just avoid family members and you'd rather listen to people talk about queries instead of like your little cousin like throwing Legos at your dog, like <laughs> this is probably like do that. Yes, exactly. So our query show, which is us reviewing queries by listeners like you, uh, premieres on December fifteenth. Our first pages show, where we critique well, what it sounds like, the first pages of manuscripts are December twenty ninth. So fun fact, um, this December, these December special content episodes are only for our Patreon supporters. So you go on to patreon.com, that's with an E, like patron with an E in it, um, and look up Print Run Podcast. And if you become a patron for us and help us keep the lights on and like get better technology so we can do this remotely, um, give us, give us a gift and then you get access to our special episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds good. Um, so I guess the one last thing is our weekly call to uh, review us. If you are enjoying the show um, and you are subscribing on iTunes or you're listening to it, whatever forum it is, um, and you think it's going well and you want to support the show in some small way, um, go on and rate us and go on and maybe even leave us a little comment. We love to see it. It makes us feel really good. And it also helps us um, with visibility in the iTunes algorithm and things like that. So um, we will continue climbing. We've gotten so many nice ones so far, and we, we really appreciate it, and we hope to see more um, if people are enjoying it. So, hooray. Yeah, hooray. <laughs> hooray. Oh, I got, to, I got you to say hooray. So let's get into it then. <sighs> um, okay. Tell you, we've got, let's start with, yeah, kind of some news. What so we got? we've got some news in the book world, uh-huh. folks. Uh-huh. 2016, the dumpster, the dumpster oh, fire God. of a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, is coming to a close. And do you know what that means? What does it mean? All of the dictionaries are choosing their words of oh, the year. Oh, man. This is the worst part of the year. I've never once <laughs> liked this. I don't, <laughs> I've don't. i never once enjoyed this. I worked at a place that did this uh, for a couple years, and we all just got mad about it each time. But why don't you tell us what some of the words of the year in the okay. running are? Okay. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. You get mad about the word of the year, uh-huh. but all of the dictionaries yeah. across the world are getting sad about it. Yeah. Merriam-Webster uh, has made a plea on Twitter mm-hmm. to ask that fascism is not going to be the word of the year. <laughs> Ladies and so, gentlemen. So hold on. Let, let's, let's just make sure we understand the situation here, because um, I think we all kind of saw the tweet when they sent that out. It was very funny. They've got a very good social media presence. But um, I guess they picked their word of the year just based on raw lookup data. Yeah, on their website, MerriamWebster.com. Yeah. Yep, it's one hundred percent who looks up the word the most. And so, the, and so the whole world was uh, looking up fascism this year. Fun fact about fascism. Um, oh wow, let's let's have a fun fact. About <laughs> well, we, I could use one. I've got, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got two fun facts actually. Yeah. So this 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 word of the year, fascism, is in. Uh, 
is is replacing the 2015 word of the year, which was socialism. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, so we're going from yeah. socialism to fascism. Yeah. And so there's been all of these like campaigns about like don't let the don't let the dictionaries be sad. We should look up something ridiculous like flumdiddle. 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 I'm I think at, it just. I'm looking up okay. flumdiddle well, right now. Flum Keep diddle. talking. I'm gonna look up flumdiddle. Um and but then you know some analytics people came back and said okay everybody in the United States have to has to look up flumdiddle twice every day until the end of December for it to beat fascism. Fascism is the fourth most looked up word on Merriam-Webster.com of all time. Wow. <laughs> it's, it is. It is. There is something interesting in there about people looking up forms of government or, you know, ideologies, political ideologies like that. But you think it's just mostly, political it's ideologies, just, yeah, but then we get into, then except we get into for stuff. then you look at all of the other yeah, dictionaries. Uh, so we're, we're, Merriam-Webster is doomed by its own system, which doesn't allow it, the dictionary, to pick its own word of the year. Um, but luckily, there are other dictionaries that do pick their own word based so, on things more than other raw usage data. So who else do we got? The Oxford Dictionary. Uh, I hope they picked something happy, right? What do we got? They picked post-truth. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so post-truth, if you're that's not great. familiar with this, um, is, is... I think we're familiar. Is <laughs> Shut up, Eric. <laughs> is the idea that um, feelings or beliefs are more important than facts. Oh, is that really the definition? That's oh. really the definition. Interesting. So, I mean, I didn't and read it Oxford. verbatim, but yeah, right. so that's post-truth. Um, that's, that's you know, compared to like 2014, the word of the year was vape. I was there for vape. How, how, we did, were... <laughs> how did Oxford University Press feel about vape? We, we were not happy with vape. Um, so they picked vape because... It was it was like a new thing then. Everyone was looking it up. Everyone didn't know quite what it was. It was kind of just this emergent, I guess, idea. You know, that sounds really romantic for like what vaping is. Um, but like, I remember I'm trying to think of the argument we were having internally. We, as in the company, I was not a part of this argument other than the little ballot they gave me in my cubicle. Um, they have a ballot. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah, how yeah, it's yeah. picked? No, no. I mean, they take all kinds. Of, you know, they've got, oh. they have lexicographers, you know. What? And who who make this sort of decision making? Um, but they and, give you a ballot, and it's yeah. No, well, you get to like yeah, you get to like. So they give select, you a ballot. You get to, and here's what it is: you get to narrow it down a little. Like they give you a bunch of choices, and then you get to um, like circle like I, I don't. I'm trying to remember like a few. And, so and basically, they, you get to vote, but your vote doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apt. <laughs> apt. More. More apt. <laughs> um, but. I remember there was this big fight because I'm trying to. I think this was the year that trans was big. They had a really big, um, as a word, like as a popular lookup in the dictionary that year too. Um, and the, the Oxford had published a really important and uh, well received book on uh, transsexuality, and people really wanted the word of the year to be trans, and it didn't. It lost to vape. Um, which which felt like a strange choice. I feel like we had well, a chance to pick something a little more meaningful. Consider than vape, last but. year though, which was not a word. Okay, it, don't real quick before you do that though. I want to get back to this idea of lexicographers. Okay. Okay, and I bring it up because when they picked vape, they gave us all these reasons for why this was the most sophisticated, intelligent. Like this is what absolutely based on, you know, our analysis of the English language and the lookups <laughs> in the past year, this is the most like academic and, res- you know, intellectually responsible choice, vape. And then what happened in 2015? An emoji one. They picked an emoji. They, yeah, they picked, picked the, the smiling <laughs> emoji with tears, the Which, face with tears of joy. So they picked the face with tears of joy. Um, and then I would I would I wasn't there at the time, but I would, of course, be interested to hear um, the. I don't know. They're going the downhill. The highfalutin rationale for that, and now I guess post-truth makes sense. I don't hate the choice, but it's uh. So we've got post-truth. Yeah, so what else? And we got? socialism. Uh-huh. The Cambridge Dictionary chose paranoid. <laughs> and dictionary.com. Imagine looking googling. So hold on, can we just real real quick? Yeah. What what makes a person look up paranoid in the dictionary? Well, that's just, a... is someone calling you that, and you're like, oh, what does that mean? And you're looking it up. Are people like, are you feeling that way and you just want to know what it means? Perhaps like, they're paranoid that they have the definition of paranoid wrong. Yeah. No, I feel like it's something that happens like right after you get real mad online and someone calls you paranoid 
and then you end up, you know, trying to look it up so you can like own them with like strict dictionary definitions or something crazy like that. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so and then there's one more dictionary. What do we got? Yep, dictionary.com chose xenophobia. Oof, man. Um, such cheery. Such how do, cheery I can't choices. imagine how any of all this stuff all goes together. It's really hard to see the the common theme here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I'm really surprised yeah. surprised that people on Dictionary.com could you know spell xenophobia well enough for it to be chosen amongst the Ooh, popular wow. options. What are you so? Are, what are you saying? Is Dictionary.com not for the people who can spell things? Or you're just saying it's a complicated word it's, in general. Yes. And oh. if you don't know the definition, you probably don't really. I mean, I guess maybe you see it in print, but you probably are hearing a, people talk about it's it. It's another thing you're seeing people talk about on Twitter. Yeah. I am not underselling that concept. I think that and people if, are seeing words on Twitter and Googling them and, or putting them. In, I won't say Googling them because they are specifically not using Google for this. But um, they probably Googled the dictionary and then. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, if, if it was on Twitter and they're reading it on Twitter, they probably <clears throat> aren't always seeing it spelled right. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's probably true. But so also anyway, that you... people who can't spell properly <laughs> look it up on dictionary.com. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Well, those are some cheery words of the year. I'm glad 2016 has such a beautiful lexicographical bow. But we've got good news. What do we have? We've got good news because there's a wonderful award that was just announced, okay, so which is not yeah. the word of the year. Right. It's so better. different award. What do we got? Yep. So um, the there's a there's a big review and we've talked this this award. We've talked about it on Print Run before mm-hmm. um, the 24th annual literary review bad sex award <laughs> was just announced. Really? Yes. So the winner is. The author is Ari De Luca, who's an Italian, uh, an Italian writer. To give you a little bit of background, please. Uh, Mr. De Luca wrote the book. It's a novel, The Day Before Happiness, and he's also the winner of the 2013 European Prize for Literature. So he's like a good writer. He's like a yeah. great writer. But he came up with apparently a sex scene so notably bad that yep. here we are about talking about it. Yep. So Eric okay. is going to read it. <laughs> oh. For you all. Okay, I'm reading this. So um, this is, uh, if you're listening to this in the office, put your headphones in. Do we? Need, so I'm about to look at this for the first time. Um, do we need to issue any kind of any kind of warning to listeners, or can can I just go? I mean, ahead it's and, a bad sex scene. Well, all right, I don't know. Maybe there are people in the audience who don't want to hear me read a bad sex scene. I can't imagine who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all right, let's do this thing, huh? <clears throat> this is from the day before happiness. My prick was a plank stuck to her stomach. Hmm, okay. Here we go. With a swerve of her hips, she turned me over and I was on top of her. She opened her legs, pulled up her dress, and, holding my hips over her, pushed my prick against her opening. I was her plaything, which she moved around. Our sexes were ready, poised in expectation, barely touching each other. Ballet dancers hovering and point. Wow. Ballet dancer so th- genitals. So there's a lot to unpack there that I feel like we should not unpack. Um, but yeah, so congratulations to Mr. DeLuca uh, for that riveting passage. What a um, great paragraph that yeah, was. No, we, we did great. Congratulations. <laughs> this was awesome. Um, Laura has the gong today, if anyone hasn't noticed. That's not me doing that excessively. That's her. No, that's um, me. But Eric has a really lovely b- blush right now. Well, yes, I'm quite mortified having read that. I'm a <laughs> man of... You know, modest Christian sensibility. What have you made me do? Sorry, Mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, hi, Mom. <laughs> she listens every week, you guys. Yeah, I, I assume my mom is like 11 of the reviews we have or so. <laughs> Just on various accounts. But um, anyway, so should we get to, we get to the first uh, real main thing we yes. had today? Yes. <laughs> Which is um, something that we saw from The Guardian. And I mean, there's no real reason to there's no real reason to mince this. Uh, it's a Harper Lee theme park is being proposed down in Alabama, Monroeville, Alabama. Harper Lee's home. Yeah, it's a major tourist attraction, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting, um, especially because if you could pick one author in the world who would absolutely not want to become right. a tourist attraction, right? It was Harper Lee. Right. No. Yeah. So this is like one of those perfect storms of everybody really enjoying an author's work but really you know she kind of you know they didn't really like that next one 
go uh, set a watch yeah. well I, do you know what i think it wasn't necessarily about the book i think it was about well there was the there, there was all that stuff about authorship and everything yeah and you know whether or not she was in her right mind to publish it but i think it just it showed atticus finch is right. like kind of actually being racist right, and, and people, that just wasn't yeah, allowed yeah, right which is funny because they're going to make an entire yeah, now we're attraction getting, yeah. of like hey look at how look at this racist town like we should all come so here and celebrate just, the book they're just that's the thing with it right is her books have a remarkable sense of place to them right and it's this it's these books that are so um evocative of this period of time but like the period of time wasn't good you know like it was not it was kind of a time that i think that probably doesn't need to be turned into any kind of theme park you mm-hmm. know i think that's probably fair to say do you know what i'm um, worried about eric what, tell me i'm really worried that as a theme park uh-huh. um they might be killing a lot of mockingbirds <laughs> well there you go <laughs> Wow, that was that was good. That's what the people come for is the is the joke is the title jokes. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Eric's embarrassed um, for me. I'm very embarrassed for you. Um, yeah, so we're gonna have you know the Harper Lee Trail and all this stuff uh, down there um, in Monroeville, where she's from. But I want to read from this Guardian article that talks about it. Um, this woman, uh, Sarah Churchwell, who is a critic of the plan, um, and it should be noted that this was a plan that got put in motion like the second Harper Lee died. By her lawyer yeah, and a bunch like of this, other people. <laughs> this was clearly not something that she wanted or envisioned or had any sort of plans for. This is just, um, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, the theme park. Like, what? I don't know. It's just like it's a beautiful book, but, yeah, I Harper don't know. Harper Lee wouldn't even go on Oprah. But anyway, um, so here's here's what this uh, this Sarah Churchwell, um, who is a critic of the plan, has to say about it, and she's basically talking about the sorts of people who might be interested in going to a theme park uh, set when (laughs) To Kill a Mockingbird uh, took place, which is, here we go, the so-called alt-right is white nationalism repackaged as retro chic, Churchwell said, and its discourse constantly invokes nostalgia for a golden age in the Confederate South when racism reigned supreme. The leaders of this project will need to be very careful that they don't end up just creating and here we go. This is the phrase of the minute. A Disneyland for racists. <laughs> so so we're making Disneyland for racists. Um, in Monroeville, Alabama. Right. Um, so that'll be that'll be fine. Um, and, I, you know, I figure this is the sort of thing that do you think this is going to actually happen? I guess that's my question. I, I do. Know. Do you think that people I mean, are going to make a nice like um, pre-civil rights theme park? And it seems really like surely, yeah. surely there are like bars that we have to I cross. I think they might. Yeah. I mean, I think they might. Apparently, people have been coming and like driving in vans to like drive past Harper Lee's house for decades. Yeah. Well, that's so that's that's fine. You think that that's fine? What driving past Harper Lee's house, wanting that's to see creepy. where she lives? Oh, I mean, I mean sure, it's, it's not a little, as... it's a little creepy, sure. But like people go visit. I mean, I guess I understand that behavior more. People go visit author birthplaces and houses all the time that's just like a thing people do i've yeah. been to um i don't know i went to walden pond once in his little house yeah, out there in massachusetts dead. yeah i guess okay so if, i don't but you get the point like, I, yeah i do i do people i guess even if it is a little bit rude and creepy and intrusive at least i understand what like that's within the realm of human behavior that i can conceptualize you know what this, i would never once think hey i would like to go on a road trip to Monroeville, Alabama, to go through three house reconstructions of this, like, yeah, tiny racist town from back <laughs> in the day. Like, if I want to do that, I'll just watch the movie with Gregory Peck. Well, I think we should do that anyway. Um, so it really it got me it got me thinking though about like what other authors should we be doing this oh, for? Like, oh, can we pick? Ooh, I have one. I have one. <laughs> okay, have one. ready? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Picture this. Yeah. Okay, just like close your eyes yeah, yeah, and picture yeah. so, it. Okay, right. a place mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. probably Florida, sure, where there is an entire reconstruction mm-hmm. of the Harry Potter world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. They did do that, didn't they? Um, I have been there. I've been have there, been there twice. Yeah, that's that place is crazy. 
Um, the second time I went there, I went with um, one of our colleagues and her family who lived uh-huh. outside of Orlando. Uh-huh. And it was a Monday. Like, we were down there yeah. for a conference, and we yeah. stayed an extra day so we could go to Harry Potter. And um, the the cousins, they had these kids, and they put the kids in school that day. And then the mm-hmm. four adults, and the four adults. Went, this is, yeah. went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Yeah. So I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter down there as well. We were down there. It was right in the middle. I'm trying to remember. It was right in the middle of a tennis tournament, I think. And we were we like some for some reason thought it was a good idea to go to a theme park in the middle of that. And so we got there, and I just like drank a bunch of that butter beer stuff, which isn't beer. It's like it's this cream soda. It's basically yeah. It's basically this like souped up cream soda, right? So I had like four of those because I was <laughs> twenty. I was twenty years old and had no impulse control. Not that I have all that much of it now, um, but and then like was then expected to go like compete in an athletic event, and that went about as well as you could possibly expect um, under the circumstances. But really, um, in terms of other. In terms of other authors who get this, the one thought I had, like when I was like, all right, I'm going to come up with some other people who should have a theme park. The first thing I thought was that we can't let any other YA authors have this because, <laughs> because it would just turn in to like these dystopian hellscapes, you know, where it's like, like, I don't know, like the most, Hunger Games. Yeah, exa- exactly. It'd be like the Hunger Games or some stuff. It's like, I don't know that we need that. Like, that seems like, I don't know. Ew. You know, speaking of dystopian theme parks, there's actually one opening in January. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, so it is a sort of early reconstruction of (sighs) Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. And get this, it's America. Oh, God. That was also a bad joke. Oh, well, you know. Politics. You, you, worked, you worked Margaret Atwood into it, so I did. I'll forgive you. I did. Um, you know she's been nominated for five Man Booker Prizes, and she won one of them? Wow, five. That's a lot. So did she win, like, the fifth? Was she, like, the Leo of the Man Booker? I don't know. I oh. actually should have looked that up, but I didn't. Huh. Did we, like, give it to her because she, like, skinned a bear and, like, climbed in it or Probably. something? Do you think that she... we could Google, is Margaret Atwood the Leo DiCaprio of the Man Booker Prize? Do you think that Google would know what we were I, saying? I feel like they probably, I, be, I feel like it would. This is a this is a powerful age of information. Mm. If we want to compare Margaret Atwood to the guy who, like, climbed in the carcass to win the award, like, I'm sure we could figure it out. I mean, we could ask <clears throat> MiriamWebster.com. Yeah. So there's some criteria for... Um, and the kind of author who might have this happen to them in the future, right? And I think the first bit is this idea that the author should be dead or reclusive or some they have to be out of the public eye enough that this fan base is doing their own myth making, right? They're the ones coming up with all the stuff, kind of giving the books a life of their own. It also has to be a fan base that's like just rabid enough to definitely be reading the books wrong. like they you know i mean and we you know we can talk about you know authorial intent and whether or not that matters and it probably doesn't that much but um it definitely you definitely want that rift between like what the person wrote and like what um and how they're taking it and how they've decided to like turn it into whatever um you know movement or i guess in this case a theme park they've decided to create um and then the third thing is you need a strong sense of place right so, so that you can so that you can have recreations of stuff. Right. Yeah. So there's one there's one candidate I have that we'll get to in a minute. But the first the first person I thought of right away is I thought it'd be really funny to do like a Michael Creighton uh, theme park, <laughs> except it, except it's about him. Right. Like everyone wants the theme park to be like Jurassic Park or Westworld or something. But instead, it's just like a reconstruction of his like Los Angeles home. Like his like <laughs> <laughs> like come to the <laughs> like you need an author who. Like, did a bunch of, like, theme park creating in his own fictional world, and then you can take it a step back and have it just be, like, his, like, house where he was, like, drinking coffee, writing these books, and, like, that's what people are coming to see instead of, like, giant dinosaurs. Yeah, you go out in the back, and there's, like, a zen, like, rock (laughs) garden instead of, like, like, a sandbox with dinosaur eggs in it. Yeah, you're, like, in your shirt, you know, you're all ready to, like, you know, play with the T-Rex, and instead it's, like, and this is, this is where Mr. Creighton made eggs every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so there's that. Um, and then the other, the other person um, that I thought, and this is maybe an obvious choice and maybe some people know will um, agree, but um, I think that this is absolutely going to be the sort of thing that happens for David Foster Wallace. Um, he kind of fits all the criteria we just outlined. Complete recluse. Yeah, just like want to be famous. Yeah, you know, you know, now he's, he's obviously passed and all this stuff and he's got this fan base that Rabid. is kind of notorious, right? Like I feel like most people 
you know, there's like a stigma to being someone who's like a fervent David Foster Wallace reader. Um, and, you know, these are the sort of people like I'm picturing what this theme park would look like. It would just be like a block in Brooklyn that gets totally gentrified, but also is like made to look like just like a normal street in Illinois. Because anyone reading these books is someone who could never actually bother to go to middle America. They like they like treat that whole part of the world as like something that doesn't really exist in a sort of this fantasy land. Um, so you'd get like, you know, a street that just looks like, I don't know, the main avenue of Peoria. And they would be like, oh, man, it's this is so this is so wild. This is so, so edgy. It's so real. That's what that's what they would say in using it expressly to mean that it isn't real. Um, even though it is a, you know, it's like your theme park is just another city in America that you could easily just go to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So I think I think that Wallace, you know, or it'll be like, you know, you had um, like just like normal office jobs. It'll be like a cubicle building, and like all these like you know people who are like bloggers for their lives will like be in there like, oh my gosh, look at this. This is so this is so fascinating that people would ever live like this. It's just like a normal workspace. <laughs> like it's the same, it's the same kind of idea. Um, but yeah, I think that David Foster Wallace is, is going to get, he could um, be theme parked. He's going to be theme parked. I mean, he's already kind of theme parked without the theme park, you know, cause people, um, hate all the people who read infinite jest and like talk about it and brag about it. And, um, you know, it's like being a fan of his is already like a geographical location in its own way. So, so. I have a fun, a fun observation about David Foster oh, Wallace do. readers. Oh, yeah. So, uh, last week, last Thursday, I have a friend of mine who's a makeup and hairstylist. So she's got this this studio where she does like bridal makeup and all that sorts of stuff. And yeah. she was having an open house, kind of like a holiday artist mm-hmm. collective kind of open housey thing for for Christmas. Sure. Um so I went and just on this this side table in the middle of the room for literally two hours mm-hmm. was this big paperback copy of Infinite Jest. Oh. Just like sitting, just sitting there out? in just the middle of a... this, in the middle <laughs> See, of that's the move. That's why people hate these people <laughs> is because they've got to take their stupid ass copy of Infinite Chess and they've got to set it out and everybody has to look at it. And then you have to say, oh, are you reading that? And then you have to have the person say that um, they have to like pretend to like be laboring through it and how it's like this big struggle in their life. But, oh, they're loving it and you should totally try it, too. But like, you know careful because it's a big book ha, ha, ha. there like, wasn't even like a purse next to it, it just, or anything just or like someone a just coat. set it out it was just like on the table it was face up so you couldn't miss what it was yeah real power move um this is, this i was actually up. yeah i was standing in this one place and i was talking to to somebody for you know well over an hour and it right. was there the whole time and every once in a while we just kind of turn towards it and look at it and then look at each other and like point to it <laughs> and like try it's to figure it's out unignorable you can't try to figure out like, who it belonged to like, and we couldn't figure it out even if it was somebody, if it was just some other novel, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. But that's the book that everyone has <laughs> to hate the person reading it for. But it was infinite, and, just, right? And it's it's the singular book that if you see, I guess like maybe like Ayn Rand or something, but. If you see a person holding infinite jest, it's like time to start judging that person in all kinds of, you know, some of the ways, you know, maybe a little bit positive, but usually it's like negative stereotypes about like, um, you know, being meek and all these things. And there was this very pretty young blonde woman and I thought that it belonged to mm-hmm. her, but she like picked it up and she looked at it and she flipped it over and then put <laughs> it back down and that was it. And then she just walked away like really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can't stand next to that thing for too long. You'll get attached to it. They, you, they'll now she's on this show. She's, all she did was pick it up, and here you are talking about it on a radio show. I you know. ruined it. I um, know. Well, usually it's usually it's. Uh, I feel like the other stereotype here. It's usually men. Oh that yeah. Are re- that are reading infinite chess, and they're usually doing it in a public space with like, you know, never on a Kindle. Never, like because it, you want to have this it. This is heavy. like the opposite of the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon. You want it to be e-readers. a physical burden as well as a mental and emotional right. one. Well, and you want it to be a burden on others. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you want to like hold it up and like show it to people, and you want people uh, to know that you're reading it, and right. you want people to think about whether they should read it. Yeah. And you, yeah, it's and you want them to think. You want them to think that they can't read it. They yeah. want they they you want. To pick up this book and have people look at you and think, I can't read the book that he's reading. He is a much better reader than me. <laughs> that's that's like the basic. I mean, 
Yeah. I feel like that's kind of at the heart of all book recommendations, though. You know what yeah, I mean? Or just be. like even read like an act of reading in public or talking about books in public. It's such a thing, right? I hate that. Like this idea of, you know, using your reading list to somehow, I don't know, describe yourself or recommend yourself to others or, you know, and there's so much of that in, in by obviously by necessity in publishing because the whole job is talking about books. But um, I sure do hate it for that being a core competency of mm. my job. When I was a really like goth obnoxious teenager i printed out like the 100 best classic books of all time Uh and i was convinced that i was gonna read them all Mm -hmm. and then i like printed out this list and i was like ordering which order i would read them in and i like crossed out the ones i had finished how many did goth uh 19 year old laura get through why did you think i was 19 i was like 15 come on i thought i heard you say 19 no no no, i was just a grumpy teenager what what were you when you were 19 were you still like this no no, I was ple- perfectly pleasant okay, so at back 19. B- back before the pleasantness. Yeah, back before I was pleasant. Yeah. Um, I got through maybe 15. Okay, that's pretty 15. good. I mean, like, they included Jane Austen. You know what I mean? What's wrong with that? And, like, Count of Monte Cristo. And, like, you know, the I easy I feel reads. that you should not apologetically talk about including Jane Austen no, but in any reading list. No, 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 but they're the easy reads. They're the ones that, that, that aren't, like, Tess Duberville. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, which was just the a only, slog. <laughs> the only thing I remember from that book um, is the cows. The cows are good. The cows are arguably the best part of that book. It's because the cows are a metaphor. I don't remember for what, to be honest, but I remember there were fat cows and there were skinny cows. Mostly, I just really loved the scenes of her like skimming cream and like making cheese. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. The, that's my favorite thing in the whole world <laughs> is cheese. Yeah. I was like, this is great. What a wonderful life she has. I got a, I got a lot out of my education. I think it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> but so recommending books is our is our second topic here today um, because I think it's the holiday season, right? Which means it's time to start buying gifts. And I think when you are in the, with the background that we have and you're anyone who likes to read, um, it becomes time to start buying books for others or asking people to buy you books. And it's very much an integral part of the gift-giving process, um, which happens a lot this time of year. Um, I hate recommending books. Yeah, I do too. Because I think I said this the other day on Twitter, it's the original subtweet. <laughs> because like, if you give someone a book, you're like... Thought, you know, you, you're you making a statement, right? You're saying, I thought of this book in connection with you and believe that you should read it. Now, if you give that to someone and they, you know, there's a high possibility that they're going to, like, take offense to that. Like, if you give them, like, for instance, you could never get someone um, unless, you know, you had a trusting relationship, I guess, or something. But, like, you could never just, like, out of the blue get someone a diet book, you know? And you could never get someone... Without starting a fight, some sort of, you know... David Foster Wallace. That's a different argument. Um, (laughs) You can never get someone like a politics book, you know, that kind of goes against what they thought unless you were like really trying to start some shit. I don't know. It's like there's... You can't... And even with novels and stuff, like you get someone with a certain idea at the center of it um, that maybe you think is going to challenge this person. And I'm... You know, anytime I get a book, the first thing I always think is... Why does this person want me to read this? I'm very suspicious. Are they right? going to check in on me? Yeah, and, Are they going to ask? Right. Are they? Yeah, exactly. Are they going to want to talk to me about and, it? And more, even more than that, what is it they're trying to get me to take from this? You know, it's like, what's in this book that they think I don't get about the world that they then want me to go learn? Mm. Um, but so the way to do it, you know, the way to um, you have to you have to circumvent that giving process, right? That intentional act of recommending or giving a book. Um, so like, there's all these like funny, um, ways you can just like leave books lying around your house, you know, like in all the places that person goes, like, I know like whenever I, uh, you know, sometimes I'll leave books around and I, uh, for my mom when I'm, I'm home around Christmas that I want oh, to really? I'll just like leave them, leave them out, you know? Do you and, like forget them there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just kind of like set them out and then like, you just like keep aggressively like putting it in her like wrote, you know, routine areas and what kind of books do you aggressively like? <laughs> Sideswipe your mom, mom with. My mom reads a lot. Like we like to read stuff, but like it's the same. It's the same but, stuff. But why do you feel like you can't like just be like, "Here, mom, you should read this." Because some. Also, she knows your trick now because she's listening. Well, she can talk about that with me elsewhere. <laughs> um, no, you just. But like the point here is that sometimes you want someone to read a book that you you feel like they would really enjoy or like or would get something out of, 
and but you don't want to be the one to give it to him mm. but you still like want to give it to him mm. you know and so here's my question to you what book do you absolutely want someone in your life to read without having to actually recommend it to them so, and who's so and who's the person and what's the book and obviously this this could be very you know, you don't have to be that specific or anything. But. So I've been thinking about that question like all day. Yeah. No, you, I don't know that I have a good answer either. It just seemed like an well, interesting. Well, I've got two answers. Yeah. So I, th- I think, you know, the, the easy answer for everyone is like I would love someday for somebody to pick up a book in a bookstore and read it and then finish it and then see the acknowledgments page and see like my name in it or something like a book, a book that I've worked on or a book that I sold as an agent or something. Okay, like I so want people kind of a work angle here. Yeah. Like I kind of want to do that. Angle. But, but here's, that's why this is my cop out answer. That's yeah. my cop out answer. Yeah. Because I, and, and I'm, I'm fully aware that I should be ashamed of this. Oh, here I'm, we go. <laughs> can't wait I, for what this is. I am the type of person who you know the books that i truly truly love and that like they should be the ones that i want people to read more than just you know hey i think you should enjoy this but like books that i truly believe can change lives or like really really touch the soul of somebody like it touched the soul of me like those books i don't want anybody else to get anywhere near why because i I'm I want to keep that experience to myself. I want to feel like it's just me in the story. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like I'm the only one. I want to feel like I discovered something special. You're like one of those band people. Yeah, I'm like yeah. one of those hipster band yeah. people. But yeah, those okay, pe- those people might be worse than the David Foster Wallace readers. Well, okay. <laughs> fine. But here's okay, so I found I found an article from like literally 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um Lev Grossman, he's the author of the best-selling trilogy, The Magicians, which is now, you know, yeah. now a TV show and all sorts of stuff. This is before Lev Grossman published any of those, mm-hmm. when he was just the book critic for Time magazine. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Lev Grossman said, and I quote, I love certain books so much, I would not recommend them to other people. There's one novel that spoke to me so deeply about what I thought was sad and funny and beautiful about the world that I didn't want anyone else to know about it. If I were dating somebody and truly felt a profound connection, I wouldn't go to my friend and say, you've got to try sleeping with X. It's fantastic. <laughs> there are some books that I don't want to whore around. It's a funny quote. It no. is. I mean, but it's no, so I, there's, true. There's, there's something there. I agree. Um, there, you know, we get these connections with books and then when you're asked to recommend it, um, you're you really, and this kind of gets what back to what we were saying, is you're being asked to recommend an experience that you had with this book. Mm-hmm. You know, I really you're not saying this book is good. You're saying I really liked reading this, and that is going to come with all kinds of sophisticated reasons for why that is. And you're basically saying, I think that you should have these experiences too. When really they're very intimate and personal experiences. A lot of the time we have with the books we really that really come to mind that we want to recommend. Um, I have a solution to this problem. Oh, um, in my life that I've that I've uh, besides the like drive-by bookings. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it's just that's just like part of my passive-aggressive holiday time. That, <laughs> it's one of many things. <laughs> so when we're on hiatus, please um, know that this is what Eric Hain is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just leaving stuff around like the bookish Easter rabbit. It's great. <laughs> um, that okay, was what we call a mixed holiday metaphor. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what? Um, I recommend one book and one book only. Oh. Um, I've just made my policy that this is the only book I recommend to anyone for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a it's a novel, so it's fun. Everyone likes fun. It's like, I don't know, it's you know, smart enough, I think, that you know, if someone's really trying to like dig in and feel sophisticated reading it, they can do that. If they want a good plot, it's got a good plot. If they want, I don't know, it's a book it's a book for something for everyone. Mm. And that is uh, the Yiddish Policeman's Union by you Michael Chapman. You recommended Chabin. that to me. I know I did because it's the only book I recommend to anyone. I bought that book. I've probably bought that book ten times. Wow. I dish it out all the time to people. It's like the gift that is always good. I love. It. I mean, I on the you know on a personal note, I do genuinely love the book. It's my favorite novel, but. Um, it's also such an easy one to give other people because it's nobody like, has it or people do. Well, people I mean, don't usually. People usually haven't read it. Um, it's not one of uh, Chabin's. It's not you know. It's not the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay or something. You know, it's not as like big major work. Um, 
And so usually people haven't read it. So that's a good check in its mm. favor. Um, but he's like a big enough name that people are still kind of excited to hear they got a book by him, you know? Mm, okay. um, so it's like the perfect mix of everything. I got to tell you. Uh, the so pa- you found you found your special your special recommending yeah. book. And Harper did just a beautiful job with the paperbacks for those. So it's like this beautiful, gifty-looking paperback. Um, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's it's the ultimate book to recommend anyone. Well, I have a few different solutions uh-huh. for recommending books what to we got? people. Well, when people are in my home, mm-hmm. generally I take them over to my free bookshelf Okay. Which is a specific bookshelf that I have full of like arcs and like gifted books or whatever. Yeah. And they can take almost anything off of it. Yeah. Um, but I always say, take whatever you want, but I haven't read any of these and I have no guarantee whether they'll be good or not. <laughs> so that's So you're removing all culpability from yourself. Yes. And it's great. That does sound nice. So I so yeah, so when when we go put our microphones away, I can show you my free bookshelf. I can't believe I haven't seen it already. It's in the den. Oh, well, the den. It's in the Some den. of us have dens, apparently. I yeah, well, don't have a den. I've got like two rooms. But um, So that's that's my method number one. Yeah. Method number two is that, so I have an author. Um, her name is Lily Anderson. She is a librarian. Friend of the podcast. Friend Lily of Anderson. the podcast. Um, we'll, we'll have her on at some point. Um, yeah. But so so Lily, and this is a lot of people because of, um, a lot of people think of me as like the the YA middle grade reader person and they're like sick of the Hunger Games and Divergent and they want something fresh and they want something new. So they say, hey, Laura will know what this is. Right. Um, but I am like woefully behind in reading in YA because it's a it's a it's a category that that flips over so fast. Yeah. So I, I go to Lily and I've done this multiple times, and she's a, a children's librarian. And yeah, I say, "That's good." Okay, I need a list, and in like thirty seconds, I'll have like twenty books. Yeah, that's and I've helpful. done this. I don't know. I've done this probably six times, and so then I just copy her list verbatim, yeah, and just email it to people. Yeah. So that's that's the, me recommending books that the key is I didn't to, do. It sounds like the key is to just not put any of your own like original thought into it yeah you, you know what i mean it's like have this free bookshelf of books you haven't read or ask a um, librarian ask people whose job it is to recommend books yes to recommend the books. my third option uh, mm-hmm. i have three so this mm-hmm. is my last one when i can't get out of it if i can't like quickly right. like go ask lily and i can't like i'm not at home so i don't have my free bookshelf yeah um what i'm stuck then with is so i don't have a perfect book to recommend Mm-hmm. So what I'm stuck with You do now. You do now. Well, I do now, history. but you're you're doing it. So <laughs> my my solution is the the lazy bookseller hand sell. Oh, the so, hand sell. Yep, yep. So if you ever go into a bookstore mm-hmm. and you ask somebody to recommend something, you know, sometimes you'll get a, a bookseller there who's like really passionate about something and they've really read it and they know exactly what you're talking about and they know exactly what you need and they'll be perfect right right? and they'll like be good at their job right and that's what we love about books other times you go into like a big box bookstore or something and you've got like this like pimply teenager um (laughs) i think that the first person you described might not necessarily that person could also be a pimply teenager well yeah i'm more talking about like okay so when i was a teenager Uh i worked at barnes and noble Uh and i was very anxious about recommending books uh-huh. and so all i would do was i yeah, because would, recommending books is terrible i know right. so i would recommend books that i had read and i had enjoyed but mm-hmm. i wasn't obsessed with them and they mm-hmm. had won awards mm-hmm. so like for instance my book of 2015 to recommend was bone gap by laura ruby uh-huh. which is a phenomenal book right um i actually made you get that book remember i made you stand in line for it Oh, at BEA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's excellent. Yeah, oh, I should read that. But it, it I think I have her signature on the book. Yes, you do. And wow. it won a ton of awards. Yeah. And so that was like, I pick one a year where I was like, okay, like this is the critically acclaimed book. Like this is what we're doing. It's great. I also did um, Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. I recommend that. Easy. Yep. 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 You know, you know, big, kind of big. Big, big names. Do you ever feel like people are disappointed, though, when you recommend those books? Because, like, I assume Probably that Probably. Anyone... I'm disappointed in me. <laughs> because anyone, like, you know, I've thought about that, too. It's like, just pick the big book of the moment. But it's like that person already 
knows, you know, they can easily go find them. Well, it's not like I'm recommending the Stieg Larsson books or like Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm I'm doing critically acclaimed. Was was the Stieg Larsson books not critically acclaimed? I thought those books were. Well, they are, but they're also like literally owned by everyone. Yeah. It's not like the, it's not that point yet. Sure. You know. Please. Yeah. 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 So that's, so I do the lazy bookseller hand sell uh-huh. where it's like, you know, that a lot of people like this book and you read it and you enjoyed it, but you're not like cutting your, cutting your heart yeah. out and like leaving it on the counter yeah. for them, mm-hmm. which sense. I kind of, yeah, which I kind of feels like protect your hearts guys. Yeah. Protect your hearts. If you get nothing out of this show, get that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Barnes and Noble wouldn't hire me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. They didn't want me. Oh, I got hired in the um, music and DVD department. Oh, wow. You were in the fun part, too. Darn. Yeah, I got to pick the music for the whole store. What? You were the one putting on the tunes? Yeah. I mean, you don't get to, like, pick any of the tunes. Like, you get, like, this what? stack I mean, from do they, corporate. Did they not trust you? No, they get this stack from corporate, and you have to play <laughs> them yeah. for a certain number of months in a, yeah. you know, whatever. And you had to keep yeah. them in rotation. But I, like, picked the best of the shitty corporate uh-huh. tunes. Right. And then I worked the book floor every once in a while. Yeah. Um, which was good because nobody is like, recommend to me your, your favorite like orchestra who plays Beethoven. (laughs) And it's like, I'm not doing that. Like nobody can do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was not allowed. I was not allowed on the squad of Barnes and Noble. I was bumskies. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. We were talking about David Foster (laughs) Wallace and like tennis players and stuff. I don't know. Oh, there we go. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, so should we? We've got one more segment today. Yes. Um, that I think we're both pretty excited about because it's an interactive feature. Um, it's a mailbag, uh, which is to say that we spent all week getting questions from various people talking to us on the internet or over email, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Um, and we've got some questions here, some good ones that we wanted to get to uh, from our listeners, from people who've been chatting with us. So. Um, let's get into it let's get into it what's the first question laura it needed a gong Mm -hmm. it did it needed a gong okay uh first question in my book i have a gay character but i don't point it out in my query because to me and the story it's not like anything but a normal relationship i don't reference it in my queries because again it's just a relationship like any other but i do want agents to know my book would appeal to all teens but not use it as a way to get read any thoughts? It's not the main character, but a significant character. That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, what do you think? Why don't you, because it sounds like um, this is the sort of conversation that usually uh, surrounds uh, younger literature, like YA or middle grade, right? Yeah. So why don't you start, since that's kind of more your realm? Yep, yep, absolutely. So with this, um, Really, I think I think that this author's instincts are are right on with not wanting to like point a big arrow to this right. character in this plot and kind of as a means of being strip out the yeah, yeah like you don't want to yeah. strip out the plot in term yeah. like and instead be like hey you should read this book because this person's gay. Um, the solution around this to let agents know that it's not just you know a a. Is it, it is a feature in a lot it, of this kind of book, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a feature. Or it can be, depending on how you do it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a feature that, that will definitely appeal to readers who want to see more diversity in the way that relationships are presented. Um, so to communicate that without taking away from the plot or the story and to acknowledge that it's something that's there but is something that's very normalized, mm-hmm. um, the solution really is, you know, in your in your metadata paragraph, basically the paragraph that has your elevator pitch, it has your word count, it has your category, uh-huh. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say that, you know, it's a 70,000 word novel with, you know, GLBT elements. Uh-huh. Like, you know, saying saying that, I prefer... That's nice and matter of fact. Yeah. And gets across, yeah. Exactly, because I don't, you know, as a as an agent, as a reader, I don't need to, you know, know exactly specifically right. what it is. I'll right. just, like, believe you that it's there, mm-hmm. and I'll just keep that, you know, in my tallies of, you know, is this something that fits for my list? Is this, you know, a book that I would like to read? Um, that's, just, that's just another piece of information. Mm-hmm. Um, one point to note... A lot of authors use LGBTQ themes, which is just a really weird, like it's a personal pet peeve of mine. It's a really weird term. 
because a lot of the time they're using that to describe like just dating or something and it's like that's not a theme like the love is the theme that's not like a that's not an intrinsically queer theme right it's just yeah yeah so i prefer the word element just you know on my own you know if it is something that's definitely thematic like like something having to do with the stonewall riots or something then awesome like you can totally use that um yeah so that's just a little little side note from me i think that's i think that's pretty good um i would agree with that i think the key is to um mention it the right amount um in a sort of not it's like you know i think it's like we said i think her instincts um are right here um so it's a matter of mentioning it enough to point out that it's a feature of your book without trying to sound like you're trying to exploit that feature to get it read or to the top of a query. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless it's absolutely about that, in which case, yeah, absolutely talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, this is a person that seems to have good instincts. So yeah, I would say, I would say go for it. Go good. Good job. You writer. Um, this next one is, is a question for you. It seems like it's for me. So I will read this one. Um, I have a couple nonfiction projects. I see many resources for fiction, um, but I struggle to find even a critique partner for nonfiction. Any tips or ideas? Um, that's a good question because it's it's very true. Uh, most uh, writing workshops, most things like that, um, is kind of geared towards that quote unquote creative writing. Usually, that means fiction. It can also mean, I guess, like you know, essays are creative nonfiction, but like for a lot of people writing nonfiction, I know they kind of feel this way is that there's, um, you know, that all the stuff that writer, that all the resources available for writers are for fiction writers. Um, and I guess the thing I would say to circumvent that, um, is the first is to find a critique partner that doesn't necessarily have to write. I know that sounds, I know that sounds interesting. That sounds weird, but like, um, you know, you're writing about a topic, presumably, and you are probably not the only expert on that topic. And so showing, you know, using someone who's in that world with you, who understands that, you know, who maybe whatever your subject is, you know, who's also really interested in it and has have them read it, even if they're not a writer themselves. Um, that's a great way to kind of get a feel for who your audience is going to be. Because one thing with nonfiction is it's a lot easier to identify your audience than it is with fiction, right? Because it's a book about a subject. And so you can just find the people who like that subject or are engaged in that topic. And so like finding those people and saying, hey, can you read this for me? You know, if you know any, and you probably do if you're at a point where you're writing a book about a certain thing, you know, you know that community. Um, And then the other, you know, the other bit of advice I have on this is to just go to the fiction stuff. Because so much of you know, maintaining and keeping a narrative um, going in nonfiction, it's all storytelling elements. And it's all storytelling elements that are very similar to keeping alive a fiction uh, a fiction story. Um, one thing I think that nonfiction writers, especially ones working in narrative, um, forget is that these real people they're talking about within the context of their, you know, their written words, you know, these are characters, you know, this is even if it's a true plot, even if it's a true historical retelling or something you're doing, it is still a plot, and you still do still need to pay attention to like maintaining that tension in the same way you would if it was a fiction story. So it's like um, I think there's a lot of good that can come from trying to pay attention to those elements we typically associate with fiction writing. Um, and so I guess don't shy away from that stuff. Like go to those things. You know, That's a good take tip. The, take those classes because. Um, you'll end up finding use for those skills. There's more common ground than you'd think. Right. Yeah. Lovely. Next question. What is the proper bribe to get an agent to at least ask for a full manuscript? Oh, a bribe. (laughs) What do you got? Do you got a bribe? Um, write well. That's, that's (laughs) about the closest I got. Uh, you know, so I I accept PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, that's a joke. Yeah, that's we a do joke. not. Don't do uh, that. Don't do we that. we adhere to the fired, tenets Eric. of the Association uh, for Author Representatives. <laughs> um, Thank you for that legal disclaimer. <laughs> um, no, yeah, of course not. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do I have a bribe? I like a fruit basket would be nice. Like sometimes like an I'm, edible arrangement. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I would absolutely because it's an chocolate edible. and fruit. It's chocolate and fruit. Yeah, no, I need that. Yep. Uh, but but really, though, I know I know that this is joking, but I, I think the underlying question is, you know, how do you get a full request? 
maybe or i mean you, yes i'm sure if for that is an underlying question whether it's the underlying question in this person's uh, question is another is another issue altogether. But no, please, why don't you address the the actual substance here <laughs> while I like <laughs> fantasize about fruit baskets? Please get us back on track. I, I, you know, I think I think the real thing is, you know, really, really, really making sure that you you know it's it's one thing to say you know make sure that your your book is well written and make sure that your query is well written and like properly reflects the the placing and the tension and and the the really exciting parts of your book. Um, but honestly, the best way to do it, the best way that people trick me into reading those first three chapters and then asking for more mm-hmm. is just being really good at chapter transitions. Hmm. Like, honestly, you know, yeah. if I, if I get to a, you know, if I get to a partial request, I'm already really liking your book. Yeah. And the only reason I ask for more is because I can't. Like I wanted, I want to know more. I, I, I can't leave these characters. I'm not, you know, if I'm not dying to keep reading, I'm just not going to request the full because there are so many great books out there. Um, and, you know, good writing is a part of it. Story is a part of it. But the, but, you know, at, at some point you really can't control those because it's me personally connecting with your characters and with that. So that's, that's really about like doing your due diligence and being good at your craft and then kind of luck. Yeah. But the transitions, yeah, that is pure craft. That is pure like magic. Yeah, that's you know knowing you know knowing when to break a scene. That's that's key. So focus on transitions. Yeah, I think that's good. All right, you ready for the next one? Yes. What should my word count be when querying for memoir? Oh well, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, I we get a lot of questions about word counts. Yeah. Um, we're going to give you just a really, really brief rundown of your your general word counts. Uh-huh. Middle grade, you want somewhere between 25 and 45,000 words. YA, you want somewhere between 55 and 80,000 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, science fiction, you want somewhere between 75 and 100,000 words. Okay. Um, fantasy, you want somewhere between 85 and 110,000 words. Eric, hit us or general fiction you want <laughs> i don't know general what, fiction like, you want around a hundred thousand yeah right? no, that's pretty long um is it you always complain about not having any yeah no books. i do yeah. I, that, but that's but that's a long book okay. um i would say the i usually it comes in way shorter um i don't like getting things that are less than seventy thousand words mm-hmm. uh, for general fiction um with i guess some some exceptions but um yeah no for me it's somewhere between 70 and 100 70 um, that's, and a, that's a big range, but like, you know, it's general fiction. Like that's a huge swath of books. So, um, but shorter than that, and I would start to have a lot of questions and longer than that, I'd start to wonder why you haven't edited. Absolutely. And then for memoir, memoir is um, kind of this weird space between fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, you want to treat it like general fiction. So you want to yeah, have somewhere between agree. 70 and 100,000 words. Um, nonfiction. What I I don't know anything about. It depends on the. It depends on the book. Okay. That's well, such then, a broad. I mean, that's most books. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry, nonfiction. Way to know all the little stats for all those categories, though. I don't know. It's I, almost I, like I do this for about, a living. Yeah, sure, but like, man. oh, I forgot romance. Romance should be between. Oh, now you're showing off. Sixty-five <laughs> and ninety. Wow, good for you. Boom. Okay, next question. Uh huh. I'm thinking about releasing an old novella on Kindle Direct so I can get a story out there while waiting on agents. What do you guys think? So there are differing opinions on this. I think it's a good idea. Um, A good idea. I do. Because I think that, you know, if it's not the book you're trying to publish, you know, because it's one thing if like I don't like getting requests or queries that say, hey, I've got this thing. It's already out and available in the world. um, But now I want to publish it traditionally. Um, I don't necessarily love that. But if you've got some, you know, I've seen this a lot where if you've got some piece of writing that's just sitting there for you and you want it to start doing some work for you, why not, you know, and you feel it's good enough to show to the world and you can use it to kind of drive your following and kind of get people talking about your writing. I don't see any reason why it's necessarily a bad idea. Um, I think it's, a, like I said, I wouldn't do it with the book you're trying to traditionally publish. I would save that and go the normal route with it. But um no, I don't hate it as a tool for um, getting your name out there and like trying to engage with people who will then be your readership. I mean, you know, let's say it flops. Who cares? You just don't mention it in your query letter. Let's say it goes well. You can say, hey, 
you know, I've got this other thing I did. This many people saw it, liked it. Um, you know, they're, they're, you, it's one more thing you can use to point to evidence of a track record or, you know, success. So I don't know. I don't hate it. What about you? I have different opinions depending on how sure. you're doing it. Sure. So I do care if it flops. Um, and here's why. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I don't, interested. I don't care necessarily because it's a piece of short fiction, which is which is different than than a novel. Right. It's a different animal. Um, yeah. I care if it flops if you're not putting the work behind it, like if you create a really crappy cover on Canva and yeah. you don't market it at all and you just kind of, it's like a poor representation and you're just kind of getting it out there to get it out there and to like add something to your bio. Yeah. Then I care that it flops. Well, yeah. So no, I no that, that makes total sense. And that's, that's not, I don't think contradicting, you know, what I meant, you know, obviously if you're going to put it out there, you need to do it with, you know, care and attention. Yeah. Like um, a lot of a lot of people who are trying to get an agent and are just like sick of waiting, they self-publish various things. Yeah. Um, with good intentions. They they do it because they just they want to get the party started. They want to be attractive to agents. Yeah. But a lot of these people are approaching it kind of as a as a second choice or as a, a way to so be traditionally publish. And, and your heart has to be in it. Yeah. Because the only way that people are successful when they indie publish uh-huh is when they're treating it like a business because you're the publisher exactly you you have to invest in it yourself and if you don't do that then um the results will be according to that i've got a lot of authors who publish indie and publish traditionally and i love it because they come to the the table traditionally and they know exactly what they can do to help market their book they know exactly how they can help so so i just want to make sure that you're knowing that yeah so even um you know you can use it as evidence of having a readership, but it's also, like you're saying, it's also evidence of being a professional author. It's like, look at look at how I spent all this time and energy promoting myself and my work. Look at how I'm ready to do this for when we have a project together. Um, you know that that I think is powerful as well. Bingo. All okay. right. So you ready for you ready for the last one? I am so ready for all our right, last question. Is there any preparation you emphasis do to be well suited for the inclusive manuscripts you're requesting? Yes. I think that's a great question. Can you tell me what I don't necessarily understand what it's asking, to be honest. Why don't you clarify for me? Okay, so so what what this author is asking uh-huh. is asking specifically majority workers in publishing who say, you know, like me, who's who's white, you mm-hmm. know, and I go around saying I want own voices works. I want diverse works. Yeah. What work do I do as somebody to be that's ready when not people send you those things to be ready and to be able to recognize it uh-huh. and to be able to, um, edit it well and to be able to represent it well. Yeah. Like what, what work do I do to make sure that I am actively a good partner for this type of book? What do you do? So I, you know, I, I think, you, <laughs> Uh, what do I do to be woke in publishing? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think I think it's a it, you know, but it's a good question. It's a no, fair I, question. I, I think it's a great question. Um, I'm just I, now that I know what it is, I'm just interested in what you do. Yeah. So I mostly I just read. I read a lot. That and I listen be, a lot. So that was going to be my answer. Like I yeah. feel like there's only one. You know, this there's not any methodology to prepping for a lot of this stuff. It's just reading. Like I know for me. It's reading widely and reading stuff that I wouldn't pick up on my own. Like whenever I go and I'm trying to find a new book, I try, I try at least to spend some time thinking, all right, where and what, what kind of book would I not just instinctively pick up on my own? Like what can I pick up that stretches my standard tastes, that stretches, um, you know, my standard just scope of vision for things I've been looking for, for things I've been thinking about? Um and I, you know, obviously that has, I hope, positive ramifications for publishing things that are um, diverse or about life experiences that are different from my own. But really, it's just, it, I don't even think about it that way, to be honest. I just kind of think about it as trying to understand what all is out there Yeah, I, in I, terms of just the kind of books being published and the kind of writing that's happening. On some levels, it, it very much is about taste. But I also, you know, I read... A lot of think pieces. I, you know, most of what I do is oh, there's inactive. A bad, there's a lot of bad think pieces. Well, there out are, there, but you know, like I like to stretch my empathy muscles. You know, like yeah. I specifically, you know, when when people are passionate and about something, 
you know, very often I, you know, or when something happens and they respond to it and they respond in a way that I don't necessarily understand right away. Yeah. Um, I take a minute and I try to assess, you know, why do I think this way? Is it because I actually believe that or is it because of just the way my experiences are shaping this or, right. you know, am I, am I being empathetic enough? Am I, am I understanding this? Am I sympathizing in, in a way that aligns with what I want to be doing? I feel like, and we don't have to get too far in the reads in this though. And this is obviously a question that permeates a lot of things that don't necessarily have to do with books, but, um, there's more to the equation than empathy. You know, empathy is one thing, but like, I think uh, what, what's at the crux of this question is, you know, understanding almost, yeah. you know, it's like, that's a different thing. Understanding than why you like, think the things you do. It's one thing for me to read a think piece and go, oh, I feel, you know, so bad for those people, you know, whatever's, you know, the topic is, but it's another thing to try to actually critically think about something and understand the issue beyond just kind of the emotional level that gets presented in a lot of these pieces we're talking about. But um, no, I, I think we're in agreement though that it's the key here is to read and to read things that we wouldn't that kind of fall outside um, our standard scope of experience and to self-assess while you're doing yeah. it. I think that's sure. really the key. Sure. Yep. And right. whenever you mess up, you 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 learn from it. Yep. I think that's the that's the big key. Right. So that brings us to the end of our mailbag portion of print runs podcast and indeed the show itself and indeed the show itself if you have any more questions for us you can send them to us on twitter um on facebook or you can email us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com yeah we won't um we probably won't do a mailbag every week we'll probably we probably won't even do it every other week but we will do it um periodically once we get enough to do one right and we'll try to make it a feature because obviously we we want to talk to you guys as much or we want you guys to talk to us as much as we yeah. talk at you. And so. speaking speaking of talking to us, one more reminder that our query show is on December 15th. Our first pages show is on December 29th. Mark your calendars. You have to be a Patreon supporter to access these. If you are confused about that, just let us know. But go on to Patreon.com to make it pretty, pretty easy. So we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.